The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, New York Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of the SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. Today's show is going to be one where we continue previewing the Giants 2019 opponents, and up today will be the Green Bay Packers. And here to help us break down the Packers will be Jason Hershorn, who writes for SB Nation's Acme Packing Company, also writes for SBNation.com, and does some work for NFL.com as well. Jason, thank you very much for joining me today. Happy to be here, Ed. Hey, so let's get right into this with the uh, with the Green Bay Packers. Things have changed a little bit and the the landscape for the uh, the Green Bay Packers over the last couple of years new head coach a little bit of a new philosophy you know coming out of the front office in terms of how to deal with free agency and and things like that so uh you know let's let's start here with a with a generic question you, we're heading into you know training camp shortly it's been a different off season for Green Bay coming off a 6-9-1 season a year ago. Do you feel optimistic, pessimistic, or are you sort of on the fence about what uh, what we'll see from the Packers you know, as we head to training camp? Well, optimistic in the sense of them improving upon that 2018 final record, though that might not be the same as saying that they're definitely going to be a playoff team. I think there's a lot of questions that need to be answered there. In terms of their head coach hire, Matt LaFleur, he comes from a scheme that has proven success in the NFL. So I don't have a lot of a lot of questions about what they plan to do schematically. My questions are about the person who's implementing those changes. We really have not seen a lot of Matt LaFleur as a coordinator. He has two years, only one as an offensive play caller. Now, that year was this past season with the Tennessee Titans, and there are a lot of mitigating factors that might explain some of the inefficiencies that they had 
but ultimately doesn't answer questions, just excuses potentially uh, some of those shortcomings. So I think there are a lot of real questions about Matt LaFleur's ability to be a head coach at this stage in his career and his ability to sell not just Aaron Rodgers, but that entire team on his vision for what the Green Bay Packers are. So I wanted to get into with you, I wanted to get into the Lafleur rogers dynamic and you sort of headed that way. We've seen from the outside some concern about Lafleur maybe taking some of the responsibility or some of the freedom that Rodgers you know, has had in the past at the line of scrimmage, perhaps taking some of that away from him as Green Bay implements a new system. What are your thoughts on that dynamic at this point, and are you at all concerned about it? I don't think anyone should be particularly concerned right now. Both sides have said this is going to be a work in progress as they enter training camp and as they enter the preseason. It's something that they're still figuring out where the compromise should be. In the past, as you mentioned, Aaron Rodgers had the autonomy to change any play at the line of scrimmage to virtually anything else he could do with the personnel on the field. That seems highly unlikely to be the case under Matt LaFleur, but there are strategic reasons for that. In this scheme and the way that it has been implemented recently with Kyle Shanahan with the San Francisco 49ers and previously Atlanta Falcons and Sean McVay with the Los Angeles Rams, it's very important to get to the line of scrimmage quickly, get your play set quickly, and then force the defense to adjust. So having a lot of these audibles, just eats into that play clock. And as the Packers have seen in recent years under Mike McCarthy, whether this was McCarthy's fault or Rodgers, they, that play clock often got down to two, you know, one, sometimes zero seconds. And that really helps the defense, really lets them key in on when they should start rushing the passer. And that negatively impacts the offense. So getting to the line of scrimmage faster, not audible and completely out of a play. There is going to be an audible control that Rodgers has at a minimum. The ability to switch from the play that's called to a different play from the same set and uh, the same personnel grouping. Those things can still happen, but it's going to be a, a lot faster of an audible if it goes that way. M- my guess is that Rodgers is going to end up with a little more autonomy than that, but not nearly as much as he had under McCarthy. It's really interesting to look at Rodgers and to look at the change in the Green Bay offense we saw in New York when the Giants brought in Ben McAdoo as head coach Ben came to the Giants from the Green Bay system from the McCarthy system and I think that what we saw in New York with McAdoo was I think we saw the limitations in many ways of that system Because in a lot of ways, it seems like that system was a sort of simplistic one that basically relied on Aaron Rodgers to make Aaron Rodgers kind of plays to make the system work the way that that it did sometimes in Green Bay. Obviously, Eli Manning did not have the escapability or the, the, the arm strength of Aaron Rodgers. So he couldn't do those Aaron Rodgers type things. And I guess it's a long winded way for me of getting around to asking you, are you really looking forward to seeing what Rodgers can do in a new system for the first time, really first time in his career and what this Green Bay offense ultimately looks like? Well, it's definitely interesting as someone who covers the sport because 
there are a lot of things that these two systems do have in common, but the way they manipulate defenses is very different, as you mentioned. In McCarthy's offense, if we want to be overly simplistic, it was about creating the best matchups possible between your pass catchers or your running backs, if that's the case, and the defensive players assigned to cover them or or the zone coverage assigned to uh, slow them down. This offense tries to manipulate the defense in a very different way. It uses play action as such a heavy component, that misdirection that really tries to move the linebackers more than any other position group out of position to create larger passing windows. So it's not that the matchups don't matter, but it's that you're trying to really create these bigger windows through which Rodgers or whoever the quarterback is can pass through, and that creates more opportunities to take deep shots down the field, more efficient versions of that than we've seen in the past from the Packers. So uh, on paper, it makes a lot of sense what they're going to do. But as I mentioned earlier, I don't have issues with the scheme. I think we've seen it proven at the NFL level, especially these versions of it, the the Kyle Shanahan, the Sean McVay versions of that Mike Shanahan, Gary Kubiak offense. It's how is it going to be implemented in Green Bay? Because there's a lot of variety within that scheme. Just look at Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. They were two assistants on the same staff in Washington. They spent a significant amount of their career together. And the scheme, in terms of like what the playbook is, is probably pretty close to one-to-one. But when you see the way it's executed by those coaches, McVay has spent the last two years almost exclusively in 11 personnel. I believe he's used more 11 personnel than I think any other team in the NFL. Whereas you have Kyle Shanahan, who uses it very little, uses a lot more 21 and 12 personnel groupings. Again, same scheme, but the implementation is very different. So how is Matt LaFleur going to take the bones of that offense and construct something of his own? Is it going to look more like Shanahan? Is it going to look more like McVay? Is it going to look like something different altogether, but based off the same concepts? That's what's most interesting to me heading into the 2019 season. Hey, Jason, before we move completely off the uh, the Lafleur rogers sort of Green Bay coaching staff topic, I wanted to ask you, Mike McCarthy was, was Green Bay head coach for, I don't even, for a long, long time. I can't even remember exactly what year he uh, he took the, the job initially. Did you agree or did you feel like, you know, at the tail end of last season that it was time for the Packers to move on from McCarthy? Yeah, it seemed like that regime had run its course. I was surprised that he was fired in the middle of the season. That was not something I was prepared for. I think a lot was expected the change to happen after the final game of the regular season. But just uh, McCarthy being removed as Packers head coach seemed pretty inevitable about halfway through the year. Okay, Jason, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors here on Big Blue View Radio. Then we'll come back and I have a few more uh, Green Bay related topics for you. All right, Giants fans, we're back here on Big Blue View Radio and I'm joined by Jason Hershorn of Acme Packing Company to break down the Green Bay Packers. Jason, what I wanted to get into We've talked a little bit about how different things are in Green Bay now, and I wanted to, uh, well, let me put it this way. I wanted to, to welcome the Packers to the free agency era in the NFL. Well, it certainly was a pretty a pretty big offseason for them in terms of free agent spending. The Packers had dipped into free agency before, but it was always in a very specific way. 2014, for example, probably their last big, big free agent dip. 
their biggest expenditure was Julius Peppers, a player that had been released by another team and therefore didn't count against the compensatory formula. That's the way that the Packers, by and large, had approached free agency during the Ted Thompson era. Clearly, that has changed under new GM Brian Gutekunst. They spent a not one, not two, but three pretty big free agents, uh, two defensively in Preston and Zadarius Smith. Those are the ones that are getting most of the headlines, and for obvious reasons, the Packers' defense was pretty atrocious over the course of the last few years, and bringing in pass rushers like those two will go at least some way towards fixing that problem. Different approach for uh, for Green Bay, I'm sure, made the, the offseason, made free agency a little bit more interesting and a little bit more exciting. Certainly different to cover, right? Like, in the past, uh, writers like myself could, we, we wouldn't take the first week of free agency off, but it was not a period of time in which we were prepared or had to prepare to do a lot of work. It was mostly about here, here's what's happening elsewhere in the NFL that obviously changed in 2019. The Packers were, if not the biggest free agent spender amongst the very highest. And look, it's it's for a lot of reasons. I don't know that this means that going forward, the Packers are always going to spend a lot of money in free agency. I think this might just be reflective of the deficiencies they had on defense, especially going into this offseason. But Ted Thompson probably would not have approached team building this way with the same squad if he were still the general manager. So I think this is in some way still a sea change. Let's look at the uh, at the Green Bay draft for a minute. I wanted to ask you your first pick in the in the first round was defensive end Rashawn Gary out of Michigan. He's a guy who was connected to the Giants quite a bit in the pre-draft buildup. Just your thoughts on what you've seen from Gary so far and what you think he might bring to the Packers. Well, we haven't seen much on any rookies anywhere across the league because training camp is, hasn't even begun yet. So it's really about looking at the fits on paper and looking at what the player evaluation was coming out of college. Rashawn Gary was one of the most physically gifted prospects in this draft class, but there's a reason why it was a bit of a surprise that Gary ended up coming off the board at 12. He was not unproductive at Michigan, but certainly did not live up to his billing as the number one recruit coming out of high school. And that's that's part of the question in Green Bay. Is he going to blossom now in the NFL, maybe removed from Don Brown's defense, which has one of, been one of the best defenses in the NFL or in uh, college football, but is maybe a little more restrictive than what he will deal with in Green Bay with under Mike Pettin. Uh, there's also concerns about his shoulder. He may or may not need surgery at some point on it. And it's also about what is his role going to be early on in his career. Now, the Packers have said he's going to start out at linebacker. It's a base 3-4 defense, so that, that is a pass rush position. But Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, the two players that the Packers signed in this offseason to play that role also, at some point are going to kick inside as well, especially Zadarius Smith, who did that a lot in Baltimore. Is Rashawn Gary going to also do that? He certainly has the body type for it. Or are the Packers going to say, he's a rookie, we don't want to give him all of these new things to learn at once, let's restrict his role so that he can really master that part of it and then move on to other things in future seasons. Right now, we don't know the answer to those questions, but Rashawn Gary, just based on the depth chart, is going to play some kind of, of, of a significant role for the Packers this year. They simply don't have enough depth not to play the number 12 overall pick. So as you mentioned, Jason, we are heading up on training camp 
around the NFL here pretty quickly. One of the topics that we've been discussing here on the Valentine's Views podcast a little bit throughout the offseason is the growing tendency around the NFL for teams to to stay at their home facilities to pretty much limit fan access to training camps. The Packers are an exception to that sort of trend. Just I'm just curious, tell folks a little bit about the way the Packers run training camp and maybe a couple of the of maybe your favorite things about uh, about training camp for the Packers. Well, for as long as I've been covering the team, the Packers have approached training camp pretty much the same way. It's always in Green Bay. I know like decades ago they they used to move around, but it's been in Green Bay for a long time now. Almost all of the days are open, especially early on, uh, to the fans and to the media. It's, in that sense, a very welcoming environment, certainly relative to what a lot of the other NFL teams do, which is, as you mentioned, more restrictive or increasingly restrictive. Uh, the Packers also have what they call family night, which, despite the name, is actually like an open practice and used to be an open scrimmage. That's probably the biggest change uh, during my time covering the team. It used to be a, a full-on scrimmage, save for contact with the quarterbacks. After, I believe it was 2013, they switched that to more of a in-pads practice. So while there's still contact, it's no longer live action in the same way. But still, the Packers training camp is very open. Uh, just about anybody who wants to take the trek to Green Bay can see them in action. All right, Jason, I think I have pretty much two more questions for you here. The first thing that I wanted to do is get your assessment uh, on the uh on the NFC North, on your division, you're looking at a pretty good Bears team. You're looking at at the Vikings. Just just your assessment uh, of what uh, of what the division looks like. Well, the three teams at the top of the division don't seem to be all that separated, at least on paper. Those being the exact ones you mentioned: uh, the Bears, Vikings, and the Packers. Uh, I think that's reflected in the Vegas over/unders. All of them are at nine or nine and a half wins. The difference, obviously, the Bears, who won the division last year, come in with certainly the most momentum and the most hype around them. There are reasons to think that that might regress. They were a very healthy team throughout 2018 in a way that seems unlikely to persist into 2019. Not that they're necessarily going to be devastated by injuries, at least we can't say that, but it does seem that they're not going to be as lucky as they were last year and that that is going to bring them back towards the center a little bit. The Vikings, on the other hand, dealt with a lot more injuries. They seem likely to improve. And the Packers, in addition just to the offseason moves they made uh, with the coaching staff and with their personnel, they dealt with a fair amount of injuries last year too. And if the new scheme is even a modest improvement and the defense can come closer to the middle of the pack, they should also be in contention for that division crown. My guess is two teams come out of this division uh, with playoff berths. Obviously, the division champion, I would predict at this point, that's the Bears still. But I'm not as confident as that as I would have been prior to free agency and the draft. And honestly, until we see more from what this Packers offense is going to be, my inclination is to lean towards Minnesota because they have such a talented roster top to bottom. Even if you have questions about the quarterback, which I do in Kirk Cousins, 
I, I still think there's so much going there that until the Packers establish that offense is rolling, I, I'm not ready to predict them to win a playoff berth. And my last question for you, Jason, is about the the New York Giants. Just your impression from the outside of the offseason that the Giants have had and the kind of team that you think the Giants might be in the 2019 season. I did not understand a lot of what the Giants did this offseason. The, the Odell Beckham trade seemed misguided, although I do like Kevin Zeitler, the offensive lineman they got in return, though not to the degree that I think it mitigates the loss of Odell Beckham. And like apparently the rest of NFL media, I, I did not understand the decision to draft Daniel Jones six overall or really anywhere in the first round. If, if you think that he could be a franchise quarterback, it's fine to take him at six. So that's not necessarily the issue. I just do not believe that he can be a franchise quarterback. Players with that sort of background tend to not develop in the NFL into starters, let alone true franchise tilting players. But this is the decision that the Giants have gone with. They are going to pair Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones, if not immediately soon uh, this season, with a bunch of, of talented weapons. I think that the, that the Giants do have a lot of those, but I'm not sure how well they all fit together. A lot of those wideouts seem to be better suited for the slot. They can't all play there. I'm not exactly sure how they plan to utilize Evan or, or Evan Ingram, who's also basically a slot receiver. It's just a lot of questions that, at least at this time, I don't feel we can answer. Well, we will find out as the season unfolds, you know, how well things go for both the Packers and the Giants. And hopefully when the two teams meet, uh, the game will actually have meaning for both sides. Jason, I thank you very, very much for spending some time with me. Before you go, why don't you uh, tell folks where they can, where they can find your work on the different platforms, where they can find you on Twitter and, uh, and all of that. Well, you can find me on Twitter at by underscore JBH. You can find my work at SBNation.com, AcmePackingCompany.com, NFL.com. I freelance other places as well. So if you follow me on Twitter, you'll you'll mo most likely find my stuff. All right, Jason, thank you very much. And uh, we will probably talk to you again uh, when it's uh, when it's time to uh, to preview Packers Giants in the regular season. Looking forward to it, Ed.